This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hi, I'm Katie Henriksen, and you're listening to my podcast, Sound Off. In each episode, I go deep with makers of music challenging the status quo. Today, we look at pioneering British composer Ethel Smythe, who lived from 1858 to 1944. Despite rubbing shoulders with the likes of Tchaikovsky and Brahms, her music was relegated to the dustbin of history thanks to misogyny. I cannot wait to explore Ethel Smythe with you, and we'll do just that after this quick break. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ellen Smythe's groundbreaking and hard-to-define work, The Prison, was completed in 1930, but never recorded until now. Conductor James Blatchley leads his experimental orchestra and chorus with soloist soprano Sarah Braley and bass baritone Deshaun Burton for a dazzling recording on Shondos, released just in time for the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment. Now, Smythe was such a fascinating figure because of her role in the British suffragist movement. She was also attacked for her gender politics and sexuality in her time. But as conductor James Blatchley says, it was the experience of conducting this piece for the first time that led me to understand in a flash at the downbeat of the first rehearsal that I was conducting the work of a true master and that I was in the process of encountering a nearly completely neglected masterpiece. The moment I heard that first note in the rehearsal hall, I got shivers up and down my spine, and my life has not been the same since. 
I just think that she's fascinating in, in every way. She's fascinating for all those reasons, um, you know, the political ones and the gender identity and sexuality. But for, for me, the way that I encountered her first was through her music. And, and I think that's a pretty good way for us all to encounter her, you know, is to, uh, to let the music speak for itself and then fall in love with, with her as a person and, and come to see her in her historical context and the amazing ways that she helped transform her world. Described by the New York Times as having radiant liquid tone, soprano Sarah Braley plays the role of the soul. One of the things that I love so much about Ethel Smythe is that she's so, she's such a big person and she goes so much farther than, you know, just being a composer. And I think it's impossible to separate her from her music. You know, she was a really committed suffragette and spent time in prison. There's a famous story about her. She wrote this, what's called March for Women, which became sort of the British suffrage anthem. And there's this famous story of her conducting it, the women in the, in the prison courtyard singing it and her conducting it through the bars of her prison cell with a toothbrush. Shout, shout. sort of like encapsulates who she was. She was an independent spirit and often the sole woman in what was very much a boys club. And she didn't let that deter her. And I think the prison exemplifies that. It's just enormous in scope. You know, it's this huge sort of Mahlerian, Wagnerian orchestra and this beautiful chorus and and these two really profound characters as the soloists and I just find everything about her super inspiring and it's been such a journey to get to know this piece and to bring it to the world. There were no recordings of it, uh, and it had been performed only once since her death, and that was in Germany in 2006. You know, I compare it to a genie coming out of a bottle, uh, this, this music just emerging into the air. I had chills up and down my spine uh, to realize the beauty of this piece and, and also to realize in kind of one moment uh, just how wrong I had been to write her off before hearing her music. And it's, it's something I imagine a lot of people will experience with this piece when they hear the recording is to say, you know, why have I not heard about this composer and why, or, or why have I heard about her and not taken her seriously enough? And that's a question for all of us to kind of search our, uh, search our souls about that. You know, why, why do we write off certain composers without giving them a chance for their music to speak for themselves and, and kind of letting the extremely misogynistic critics of her day be the final record but she she broke through those barriers you know she was a groundbreaking composer and uh, what do you say glass ceiling breaking composer i mean she she was truly phenomenal Jesus, Lord, Jesus. 
Working on this recording of the prison led conductor Blatchley to question his diligent schooling in the works of the greats. It's not that I didn't believe there was other great music out there. I just felt like mu that history had performed its Darwinian function and that, you know, if I hadn't heard about it, then that was for a reason and that the, you know, the truly great music had all been encountered and, and we knew about it, right? If it was great, then I would have heard about it by now. Take Wagner, for example, and his Liebestod from Tristan und Isolde. The idea that something could be, you know, ravishingly beautiful and and incredibly deep and complex and worthy of all the same attention and devotion that, you know, the masterpieces would. The idea that there could be something out there that just had been relegated to obscurity but should not be. I didn't quite factor that in. I, I basically thought, you know, I could perform a lesser known piece, but it would be less good as well as less well-known, and that there was a kind of one-to-one -one relationship between those two, rather than discovering through this piece and, and some other work that I was doing, that actually as a conductor, I have a, a significant function in how much people know what music is out there, and that I can program a piece that's less well-known and truly excellent, and then it will become more known and that I can perform some sort of small function in this broad world of trying to, to rectify wrongs. Um, and I would say to have this piece be almost completely unknown as it, as it has been is a historical wrong. I mean, there is, there is something unjust about that because Smythe's music is getting more recognition. It's true. Uh, but even within that very modest renaissance of her music, uh, this piece um, was never recorded. You know, this piece ha has no global understanding of uh, just how, how gorgeous it is and just how powerful it is and, and how it's, in many ways, in my view, uh, a summary of her career. Uh, and really the capstone of her compositional career. So it, it's, it's vital that we know this piece. And it's vital that we understand and know about Smythe in our understanding of music history in general. And the fact that I hadn't been taught about Smythe when I was studying conservatory, all those various years of various degrees is is something that I think we we need to to work on uh, in general in our in our education uh, our music education and our study of of composers is to not just trace one line but to understand music history as an incredibly rich and complex field and that uh, we can help the field by digging a little deeper and by going a little broader than um, the the kind of traditional one line through history approach Bass baritone Deshaun Burton, who is also a member of the Grammy-winning and rule-breaking vocal ensemble Roomful of Teeth, sings the role of the prisoner. He says this piece is an immortal dedication to those who fight for freedom. 
to know that everyone, no matter where you are, no matter what your circumstances, we're all going through these same questions uh, and these same issues that keep us up late at night and all having these same philosophical debates uh, within ourselves. I think this piece just really, really nails it right on the head and just the way that she uses these particular words with with the entire ethos of, of her, her being and, and with her entire training and up to this point in her life and all of the challenges that she went through as a, as a female composer, it, it's so evident in her writing and it's so, it's so clear and it's so direct. So it's one of the, one of the pieces that I, I think really speaks to me in that way. And I'm, I'm just really grateful that I was able to, to have this role uh, of the prisoner. Some things haven't changed all that much, particularly review coverage. Now, I've been studying the way male critics write about women musicians and composers for a long time, and it holds true, especially in 1930. I read these reviews. They're devastating and, and scathing and so uh, undercutting of her, of her value, a remarkable achievement for a woman. You know the the kind of anger that that elicits that somebody can get away with writing that, <clears throat> and uh, you know of of uh, kind of the underhanded compliment is is an understatement. Um, you know it, it's it's a way of of relegating her remarkable achievement to um, to something that doesn't actually have the same value. There's a lot in studying Smythe that can get our sense of righteous anger uh, fully. Uh, kindled. But then to me, there's this, what I keep coming back to is a sense of wonder about her, her sound world and um, her voice, which I am truly grateful to have singing through my head, virtually at all times, uh, this, this piece of music in particular, um, has 
has actually come to me at, at times of, of difficulty in the past four years, where the philosophy of the piece uh, is so, they're so intertwined, the philosophy and the piece, and the words will, will actually, you know, come to me at certain times, and I'll, I'll hear the music in my head, and I'll, it'll actually be, you know, I think performing its function, which is to bring Brewster's philosophy to life and to actually help us in our experience of being a human being in the world. Katie Henriksen. You've been listening to my podcast, Sound Off, which explores creativity at the intersection of art, music, and literature. To dig in to what that work and the people making it tells us about art and life in the 21st century. Today we heard from conductor James Blatchley, who leads the experiential orchestra and chorus, as well as soloists Sarah Braley and Deshaun Burton about the first ever recording of Ethel Smyth's phenomenal work, The Prison. That recording is out now on the Shondos label. Sound Off, solely produced by me, is part of the Critical Frequency Podcast Network. If you'd like to keep up with all things Sound Off, including receiving handpicked playlists and more, sign up for my Substack newsletter. That's at soundoff.substack.com. Until next time, I hope you continue resonating with that great force of music.